Like the church is not built on one person. Not one person here in Detroit. One person here at Detroit Church. The church is simply built on the revelation knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. What he did, he gave gifts and he deposited gifts. We talked about some of that last week into his people. So what that means is those gifts aren't for you to serve yourself. They aren't to create like attention for yourself. Those gifts are to serve one another. Like you have something in you that I need, that we need. Matter of fact, we're not, we can't fully be who all that God has called us to be without what God has placed in you. Like we need you. And I'm not talking, last week we talked about serving in a specific area, like we need volunteers. That's a real need. But I'm talking about something deeper right now. For us to tap into our true identity, you are needed. Like there's, there's, there's the identity of the church, right? But then there's, the, there's this, a local expression that specifically consists of those whom God has chosen to place here. This is why we don't just go to whatever church just because, ah, it makes sense to go there. I like the singing or I like the logo or whatever. You, you go where God places you and you leave when God sends you. I don't know what we're doing today. We have our own ideas of church. God help us. But there's, there's, there's this, this way that God has connected us. And yes, we receive joy from it. Yes, there's great purpose in, in what God's called us to do to accomplish that purpose, right? But ultimately, it's to accomplish his purpose, what he wants. And there are times in the journey of fulfilling that purpose where God has to get our attention in a drastic way. And I believe that is the time that we are in right now. It's not starting with this series. It didn't start with this calendar year. I need to, I need to repent to somebody um, because a couple years ago, March 2020, there was uh, some discussion about the pandemic and all this stuff, and I think I was a little sensitive to, like, everybody blaming God for everything that happens in our world. I did not know it was going to be a two-year and counting ordeal, <laughs> but I was a little sensitive, like, come on now, let's not blame this on God. There are all kinds of reasons that medically that make sense to why, you know, uh, this is happening to us. We don't understand it in detail uh, yet, but... but but I, I kind of ruled out because of my sensitivity for sometimes, you know, the church, we've, you know, we have a tendency sometimes to, to do that. So I was, a, I was overly sensitive to that. Where I stand today, I feel differently. I feel differently. It's been said that 2020, 2021, 2022 and counting can be compared to the, the, the movement, the, specifically the civil rights movement of the 60s. And maybe what God was doing, informing, and awakening his people. There's so much more I can say there about that I won't because of time. But I, I can't shake this heavy and even prophetic sense that there's, we're in a moment that has great implications. Great implications even beyond the here and the now. Even beyond 2022. Even beyond Detroit and Detroit Church. So when we, when we 
paying attention, when we sense that God's saying something on a deeper level to us, what does that require of us? How do we respond? And what is God's track record for getting our attention? This is where we meet Amos. In this book of Amos, and my, my responsibility today is really kind of to, 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 you know, I'm, if we look at listening to an album, I'm just, I'm just the intro track, right? I'm setting the tone for what's to come. We're going to be in this series for, uh, for I want to say, for two months or so. And uh, we're going to take our time going through this series. But I want, you to, I want you to get a big idea overall of what God is saying through Amos to this particular people and what God is saying to us today, today. Like I mentioned before, Amos was kind of like a common dude. Amos was a shepherd. However, the way the language is written and in the way it, it unpacks in the Hebrew is he wasn't just a shepherd boy necessarily, right? He was someone that had status, in their culture. He was someone who was a shepherd of shepherds. He was someone who, who, who wasn't necessarily so withdrawn or so poor that he did not have means. You know, unfortunately, sometimes people won't have a lot to, to do with you unless they think that you're somebody, right? So, so he is someone with some level of status and experience. However, still unlikely, he is a prophet he is someone who's used by God to speak as God, to speak for God. And here he's doing this in this book that we have. It is a collection of sermons and visions that we call oracles and visions. It's a collection of these words, heavy words, from God himself. Just think about the weight of that to speak as, like, as a representative of God. Like, I want to make sure that we don't overlook the weight of not just what this book represents, but even the gathered time of speaking, declaring God's word, preaching of, of the word of God. What we're doing up here is not, we're not, I don't prepare speeches. Like, this isn't a TED talk. Like, there's great fear and trembling Pray hours and hours of prayer and tears and weeping and repenting every time I have to preach, every time. Now, that should be, I think, the regular life of the believer. But it hits you a little differently when you have the responsibility to speak God's word to God's people. There's a weightiness that comes with that. So I can only imagine Amos, who was a part of the southern part of God's people in, in Judah, now, I'll unpack this a little bit more so there will be some more details for us, for those who like to get into the meat of, of the, the cultural and historical value of what we're reading here. We'll get into that a little bit more next, next week. But this is going to, I want to again cast a big vision of what we have in this book. It's a disturbing book. It's a hard book. And we, we're, we're calling it like a good neighbor. It'll make sense as we go along. And the title of my message today is simply, Who's on the Block? Now, I normally don't do this, but look at your neighbor and say, who's on the block? <laughs> who's on the block? Who's on the block? And who's on the block matters. 
Now, we, some of us come from communities where there's a new car that you ain't never seen that rides down the block. You're looking out the window. You're like, okay, like, what's going on? <laughs> we got new neighbors. I don't know if people still do that, but back in the day, when there's a new family that move into, it moves into a neighborhood, you normally go, you greet them, maybe take them a gift. Like there's this sense of community and being neighborly that maybe we've lost. Ain't no maybe about it. We've lost it today. We've lost it. Now, I'm not just talking about being nosy. Some of us are just nosy, right? But this, some of us are nosy. But this sense of like being seen, wanting to, to see, walking with someone, like being outside. Like even in Detroit, around these times, this time of the year, it can get hot sometimes. It's very easy to get into our comfortable air-conditioned silos and not be outside and talk to people and see people. I want to challenge us. Matter of fact, the Word of God is going to challenge us in some deep ways during this series, family. Some deep ways. But it starts with, starts with the church. Starts with us. I'm reminded of a story of a young, a young man who uh, noticed that there was a new family that moved into the neighborhood. So he was going to school with, with, the, uh, with a young man who was a part of this family. And uh, one day he went up to the house, knocked on the door, and said, hey man, uh, I want you to know that we're glad that you're in the neighborhood and all, yeah, 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 yeah. But my dad has a list of all the people in the neighborhood that he can beat. He said, and your dad's name's at the top of the list, homie. I know we don't know you yet, but his name's at the top of the list. So the little boy said, okay, went inside, told his dad. His dad said, listen, man, whispered something in his ear. If he says one more thing to you, this is what I want you to do. So something else in his ear because his mom and his sisters are around, don't want them to hear. Then he gets real belligerent. So he tells his son, this his son goes back to the door. The other young man is still standing there and says, hey, man, my dad said that if you or your dad comes to our house one more time, talking about you can beat us, then my dad is going <laughs> to whisper something in his ear because he doesn't want to get out, right? Little man is like, he has this notepad with the list. He's like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Takes a step back. Looks at the guy at the door of the young man. And then he, the other guy says, so, so what you going to do about that? <laughs> the man with the notepad steps back and says, uh, well, I guess I'll just take your dad's name off the list. <laughs> there are these lists in our minds about Who's in the neighborhood, their status, their, their ranking in the culture, their position in life. When we meet new people, we like to ask them, you know, where you went to school, what do you do for a living, where'd you get your degree from. All these things that, that we tend to like rank people in our minds in this social kind of way of, of distinguishing the classes. And that happens even with God's people. That is one of the major themes that God is raising Amos up to deal with. Now, the way this book is written, you would think with a book that is so hard to read, so disturbing, there are many judgments that are coming in this book. God in his mercy and in his love, 
he gives us these words in the form of poetry. He doesn't give it to us in a legal document. He doesn't give it, although the language, it's harsh. It's given to us in the form of art, which I believe is a reflection of the mercy and the grace in the heart of our Father. So here we have this, this, this running melodic idea, so to speak, through the book. And that is this, that true worship always leads to righteousness, justice, and loving our neighbor. That's the big idea. I'm going to say it again. True justice, true worship, excuse me, true worship always leads to righteousness, justice, and loving our neighbor. Now, you may be familiar with the term love your neighbor. We love the sentiment. It's, um, it's kind of become a sentiment. It's become a motif. It's a marketing phrase. It sounds good because it is good. It's good. We can, it's okay. It's good. It's, it's right, right? Uh, we, we, have, we have a bunch of these phrases, these, these motifs, so to speak. Love wins is another one. Anybody believe love wins? Amen. The Bible says love never fails. It's okay. It's, I believe it. But do we understand it? Do we understand it? Mark 12, 28. The Word of God says, And one of the scribes, scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him. This hymn is Jesus, for those who may not know. They asked Jesus, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Then he says, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. There is no other commandment greater than these. So, what well, we can deduce from this are a few different things here, family. First, before we can get to loving our neighbor, we have to do what? Love ourselves, right? If you can't love your neighbor, if you can't love yourself, your neighbor's in trouble. So before we can love our neighbor well, we have to understand what it means to love ourselves. I'm going to ask you this simple question just because it's right there. It begs to be asked. Do you love yourself? And what does that mean? Do we understand what it means to love ourselves? Because if we're not careful, we will allow existing definitions of love and loving ourselves to inform us and to lead us in how we love ourselves. Oh, there's so much more there I wish I could unpack, but I, I can't right now. But it doesn't start with loving ourselves even in this passage. Where it starts, what he says, if you notice here in verse 28... Uh, verse 29, there she says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. This is where it starts. How you love God determines how you love yourself, which determines how you love your neighbor. How you love God. So many of us, we, we, we very easily love him with part of who we are. We love him with our minds, but not as much our souls. We, love him with, we can love him with our bodies, okay, but, but not as much with our minds, right? We like to operate with God in a way that's most comfortable to us. What he's saying here, yo, yo, how you love the Lord your God 
and how you fully love him will impact and determine how you love yourself, which impacts and determines how you love the people that you are around. It's not that deep, but it's a simple formula that that God has given us. When we don't understand that, when the love, when love is not informed by God, God is love. He doesn't just have love. God is love. Right? When we don't allow our definition of love to be formed by him, then we'll allow the culture to inform us. We'll allow Dr. Phil, Oprah. People still watch Oprah? Oh, my bad. Uh, now, I mean, social media, Shade Room, World Star, the, the recently departed Kevin Samuels, all these other voices out there that as a culture are dropping these, these, these words about love, these ideas about self-love, these ideas about mental health, these ideas even about God. And here in the scripture, Jesus, out of Jesus' own mouth, he says, yo, loving your neighbor starts with loving yourself, which starts with loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. Not the culture. Not Instagram stories. Not your favorite meme. How many of us got, like, your favorite memes screenshotted or, or bookmarked? Don't lie. All of y'all, if you're on Instagram, <laughs> we all do. <laughs> we all do. You may have. You may have a group of friends that you shoot the, the screenshot to. And there's this way that we've just learned to, learn to operate and communicate with one another. And in the moment, some of it feels right. It feels good. But if our love and interpretation of loving others and loving ourselves doesn't start with the fact that God is love and out of his mercy has loved us before we even came to him while we were still in our, still in our sin, he loved us. If it's not formed by that, the danger of us ending up somewhere God never intended us to be is extremely high. What I mean by that is oftentimes he will be misrepresented. His love will be misrepresented when it's filtered through the the conscious and the good ideas of our humanity. Family, this 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 is what's happening. This is how different ideas and theories are formed in our culture all the time. And God forbid the church is behind this. God forbid the preaching in the pulpit are preaching these ideas that that glorify and edify just self and flesh before God. What the culture needs is a spirit-transformed, Bible-informed, mobilized church of the Lord Jesus Christ who also understand, get this, the fear of the Lord. That part. Yo, like, I need time to unpack this not, isn't, I'm talking more than a sermon. This is like, I want to challenge you to read the book of Proverbs. And I had a little, a little um, I don't know, aha moment maybe last year, a couple years ago. The book of Proverbs, although there's a lot of wisdom in it, although it's book, the book of wisdom, although it's a lot of stuff about fathers and sons and families, a lot of stuff about finances, a lot of stuff about like your work, your hands, Ultimately, I think this is a book about fearing the Lord. Fearing the Lord. Like, do we understand that? Do, like, when's the last time you heard a message on the fear of the Lord? 
Like, this is not something that we get excited to talk about. But I don't think we can truly understand Amos or loving our neighbors without a proper understanding of the fear of the Lord. I know I'm yelling. Hey, it's necessary. How can we even begin to understand love and God's wisdom without the fear of the Lord? Amos helps us. Meet me in Amos chapter 1. I'm only going to preach two verses from Amos today. These first two verses comprise of the first section of the book. And it makes, it's going to make pretty clear for us the journey that we're going to go on for the rest of this series. If you got it, say, I got it. Everybody should have it because it's on the screen as well. Right, let's, let's hit it. Amos chapter 1. The words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. Now, that right there helps us understand that this part was written, right, before the rest of the book, okay? This was probably added later by a scribe, not Amos, right? But he, he wants us to know that these words, this prophetic word that God has given Amos, we're going to spend the next few weeks getting into really, really heavy. It came true. Many of it came true. And one of the ways we know that is because he prophesied of an earthquake. And this is two years before the earthquake that was prophesied. They want us to know that this is the real deal. Like you can, you can believe this. You can trust this word. Verse 2 says, and he said, this is where the word of the Lord, the prophetic word from Amos starts. The Lord, notice L-O-R-D, all caps. It's all caps for a reason. <laughs> it's not just grammatical or artistic feature. It carries some weight to it. We'll get to that in a minute. He says, the Lord, L-O-R-D, all caps, roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures, pastures of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. Wow. These two verses help establish the who, the what, the when, and the where of this book. And they open up the door for us, in a sense, to this fascinating yet disturbing revelation. And this revelation basically is God's people have dropped the ball majorly. God's people are not keeping up their end of the bargain. So in this first section, we'll get to it next week, where the prophet starts is calling out all of the Gentile nations around Israel. Then... And that's a, a sh relatively short part of the book. Then the bulk of the book he's going to spend with Judah, specifically the nation of Judah, and then the nation of Israel. What that means is God is reserving his anger for his own people. Like, I think that it's important for us as the church today to be real about who we are, to be honest about who we are, but to have a proper perspective about where many people are as relates to the church. And our sins are vast. They're in the media. If, we were to, if I was to unpack them, we'd need a, a whole series just on that. I'm talking about 
the different denominations. I'm talking about Protestant, Catholic. I'm talking about in America. I'm talking about around the world, right? There's this, we, see, we tend to be, we seem to be in this, in this season, maybe in the last 10 years or so, maybe longer actually, where so many are deconstructing their faith. And one of the things that I think is extremely sad is when someone is doing that and they're talking about way, a way that they've been hurt in the church, I've seen those who are in the church that still claim to be a part of the church shoot them down and seem to be more concerned about keeping up the, the name of the church, so to speak, or the brand of the church rather than hearing them out, rather than trying to understand how they have suffered abuse by the hands of leaders in the church, those who represent a holy God. Now, I'm not saying that, that we should just be out here bashing the church. Listen, I've said it before. I'll say it again. My woman is right there. The church is not my woman. She has a man, the Lord Jesus the Christ. <laughs> In the book of Revelation, Jesus gets real about his own. I love how Hebrews says he's a son over his own house. Yeah, he's going to handle his. And he, he's very open and honest and straightforward about the sins of the church that in, the, in the first couple of ch uh, chapters of Revelation when he deals with, with, with the church. And he just specifically deals with, with seven local churches. <laughs> and he calls them out, right? So this is, we don't have a Bible that hides like these sins. No, it, it's very clear about them. However, I think that we want to be careful that we don't, like we're not just popping off on social media talking about everything that the church has ever done. However, when there are those who aren't there yet, express those things, we got to do a better job of hearing them, listening with them, lamenting, repenting, and walking with them. So what we see here in Amos, Amos starts with the surrounding nations. Then, as, a, as the representative in the voice of God, he reserves the hardest part of the prophetic word that God has given him for God's own people. It is the God of Amos the God that we're going to hear about over these next few chapters, I want you to know that is an awesome, powerful, and a terrible God. When I, what I mean by terrible, I simply mean that he's powerful. Like, do we believe that God is powerful today? Do we believe that God is powerful today? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God holds it all in his hands? The Lord God still speaks. Yahweh, the Lord God, speaks. Two, Yahweh, the Lord God, is God over creation. Yahweh, the Lord God, is God over creation. And then three, Yahweh, the Lord God, is God over history. Now, I wish, uh, I hate to keep saying this, but it's just the natural part of me. Um, I wish I had more time. I wish I had more time to unpack this because there's a lot in here. Um, but again, we're going to take our time. We'll be back here next week. So whatever I don't finish today, I'll finish it and tag it on to next week. The first one, Yahweh the Lord, the God who speaks. Listen, there perhaps maybe is no more basic but important principle as this when it relates to the Bible. He is a God who acts, right? But before he acts, the revelation comes and he speaks. And he speaks different ways. He's not like the God of the, the, God of the nations. He's not like the God of Baal. He doesn't just observe things and doesn't say anything. He's not a God who's, who's not touched by the infirmities of his people, the weaknesses of his people. He's not a God that remains silent and indifferent. He's a God who speaks. Listen, 
that brings me hope. That brings me hope because I need a word from God. <laughs> I need God to speak to my life. Now, the different ways that God speaks, first and foremost, primarily, please hear this, the way God speaks to us today is through his written word. That is why we preach the word. That is why we like to go through the Bible book by book because it helps us receive what God has already said in context, in the original context that he originally said it. That is extremely paramount for us. It's very easy to twist the scriptures. It's very easy to look through the scriptures through a cultural lens. Our culture and not the way God originally intended it. So God speaks first and foremost through his word. And then God speaks through his chosen messengers in the word. We have Amos, again, this, this shepherd who was a shepherd of shepherds, so to speak. He wasn't some poor, uneducated shepherd. He was a shepherd that had a sense of status, and he was a shepherd that God had sent him to the northern kingdom of Israel, not his people. Like, remember, the northern kingdom, kingdom and the southern kingdom had been divided for a few years already at this point. They've had wars already. The cultures were changing. The northern kingdom was still a Hebrew-speaking people, but the way they responded and acted were very, very differently. The way they worshipped was changing drastically, and that's part of the problem. That's part of why God is raising up Amos to go to them to give them this very harsh word. God also speaks in visions and dreams. Now, again, we can have a whole message just on that. Because I think there are people who, who sometimes just in their innocence, maybe there's a legitimate gift, right? But perhaps they are still learning uh, and still being developed in that gift. And God will, uh, God will give them a word. And maybe they give it, but they don't give it. Maybe they, what they add to it, some of their own personal stuff. I've done that before. If you haven't, then I, I, I'm a, I pray over the spirit of lying on you. Amen? That's just, a, that's just a part of who we are in our humanity, right, when God works through us. And that's why it's important also when somebody gives you a word. I never get too up or too down about a word. I don't, I don't feel any pressure to fulfill a word, a prophetic word that somebody gives me. I believe in the prophetic word. Hear me? Hear me. Right? But... But my trust is in God. I'm going to continue to do as God, like what God said. And the word that was given, it will confirm, if it's from God, what God has already said through his word. It's going to confirm it. Right? So, again, that's not a rejection of prophecy. Many times, most times, you have to take the word and put it on a shelf and say, amen, amen. But as, as Christians, and specifically as leaders in the local church, we are called to judge these words. Amen. Because what I, my hope and prayer is that as we grow as a body, we'll have more of that. We'll have more of those gifts put on display in our corporate gatherings. But beyond the corporate gatherings, like on the block. I said, who's on the block? <laughs> like when God is on the block, how he speaks shows up because he fills his people with his glory and he puts his people on the block. This is what he does. So, so we have to be discerning in how we understand how God speaks and how we receive the things that he say, he's saying, even when he's using imperfect people like me. Amen. That is why we need the word of God. We need to preach the whole word of God, not just the New Testament. Amen. You know, our example here is, is, is Jesus. Jesus is on the road to Emmaus walking with two of his disciples, and the word of God says that he spoke Everything concerning him in the Old Testament, basically. He spoke all of the scriptures that were written concerning him to them. This is our model. Matter of fact, I don't think we can have a full, accurate understanding of who Jesus is without the Old Testament. 
So before we hear this, the harshness of some of these words, I want you to get the big picture of what God is really after here through this book. Amen. God speaks also through art. Come on, Detroit church. We should know that. One of our core values is, is to embrace the ultimate artist within. We believe that God is the ultimate artist. And in, in, in making us in his image, we also have the ability to create. But God uses these different expressions of art to express different parts of his character. And we see that here through this book. Again, Amos is a poet. Amos is an artist. He's using all of the resources of language to get this message out so that it can be clear and, and precise. But I also love how God speaks as well directly into the events of the world. He speaks directly into what is happening in the world. We see this word, as verse 1 says, this word comes two years before the earthquake. Mm. Wow. Listen. I want to be careful not to spiritualize things, but I can't help but think, like, where's, where's the prophetic words of the church? Like, where was, where was the, those who have that gift and leading in a way before the pandemic that can prepare the church, call the church out? I'm not saying the pandemic could have been avoided, but I'm saying we could have been prepared for how we were to respond in the midst of it. Like, where are those voices? Now, it's really important that I unpack this really quick here. When we say prophetic ministry, there are two aspects of prophetic preaching. One is foretelling. Two is forthtelling. Again, one, foretelling, meaning God has given me a word that is in the future. That I'm saying that word as God has given me before it happens. The second, the second aspect of prophetic preaching is forthtelling. We're simply declaring what has already been said. That's the primary way of prophetic preaching that needs to happen. But I believe that we need to embrace both. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19. Peter writes, and we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as a light and lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. This is not the fourth I'm sorry, this is not the foretelling, this is the foretelling. This prophetic preaching here is the foretelling. What he says is, this is a light shining in a dark place. Family, we need preaching, holistic preaching of the Old Testament and the New Testament that can usher in light to the darkness of our culture. Uh, he goes on to say in verse 20, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So again, the first one is Yahweh. God still speaks. The second one, Yahweh, the God of creation. Yahweh, the God of creation. Back to verse 2, it says, and he said, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. This imagery of a warring lion, y'all, means that an attack is imminent. This is not a cute little purr of a nice, friendly cat that you want to purr. No. This is not playing games with some domesticated animal. No. This is run and hide. See, we can't understand 
this unless we truly understand the fear of the Lord. And we won't fully understand the fear of the Lord until we understand God is holy. He's He's not like us. He's not like anything. He's set apart in every way you can ever imagine. He sits above it all. When he wars, you better know that something is, a, is coming. There's an attack that is on its way. Then it says his, his voice thunders, I think the NIV says. There's a thundering in his voice. This thundering is not coming to bring rain, just, you know, to cause the grass and the flowers to grow. No. This thunder is bringing destruction. So he wants us to know, listen, the lion is coming. I've been patient with you. I've been long-suffering with you. My mercy has not ran out. It's labored with you. I'm even giving you this word now through poetic language to let you know that I love you. But because of who I am in my holiness, I must bring correction. Because of who I am in my holiness, I must set things in order. Like this should be, this should minister to us that we have a God who's right with us, who speaks to the suffering, who speaks to the evil in our world. He's not just like, oh, I told you what to do, figure it out. No, there will be recompense for the evil that has been demonstrated in our culture. There will be a price to pay for all those who, in the name of God, have misrepresented him. I don't know if any of you have spent time reading some of the notes and the research of this young man. I won't even say his name, but it's this young man who killed these 10 African Americans in Buffalo, New York. He put some years... 18-year-old years of research looking for a city that had a high population of black people. He looked for a high population of black people in a specific community and then wanted to go to a place where a lot of black people went. This is, these are in his notes. This was a planned, intentional attack of evil. Please don't think for one minute that God is just sitting back like, oh, well, I told y'all. Like this, what came out in this young man's notes are some of his ideas and theories about specifically replacement theory. Which has been preached in some churches. Again, we're going we're gonna to unpack this a little bit more as we go throughout this book. What Amos does as he calls out the church, he brings up various issues that are affecting the social reality of God's people. Racism, privilege, using wealth for selfish gain, pride, housing injustices. He calls out all of these different things. And guess what? He's not talking to the evil pagan nations around Israel. He's talking to Israel. I'm yelling because the lion is roaring. Like, I, I need you to know that God is not okay with these, these, these destructive behavior patterns and these ideas that we see that are allowed to just kind of hang around and exist. God is not okay with it. So our hope is not in our government. Our hope is not even our, you know, how God is raising us up to serve in the social context. Our hope is that he who started this will finish this. 
Our hope is in he who wars from Zion will appear again as the lion of the tribe of Judah. And when he comes, evil cannot exist. Evil won't be allowed to stay. There will be a price to pay. So the Lord our God speaks to this, this demonstration of creation. Ah, I wish I could unpack this more. Moving right along. Ah. Three, Yahweh, the God of salvific history. He's the God of salvific, salvific history. That simply means there's been a strategic plan of salvation from the very beginning. From the very beginning. We see God revealing himself to Moses. His self-revelation to Moses is first this. I am the Lord your God. I'm holy. <laughs> That's what he says to him. I'm holy. You need to fear me. I'm holy. Get down or lay down. But out of love, he invites him in. He invites him to come. Oh, this is the beginning of God's original plan throughout history that is still running its course today. First, that God is holy. When God declares his name, please hear this. He's offering us a, a summary of sorts of who he is. He's offering us a, 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 a little... A, Brief, big idea, if you will, right, of, of what he's like, a thesis statement, so to speak, of, of how we should respond to him, how we should move about him. This is extremely important. Before we relate to him as a God of love, I want you to sit with the fact that in his love, he's holy. He's holy. If we don't have this concept of his holiness, then what we'll think We'll think God's love is just a mushy sense of sloppy agape. He just wants to come, pat us on the back, hug us. Like, like listen, yeah, there, there are things that God will, there are times where God will embrace us. Amen. He'll wrap us in his arms. Amen. But we won't have a full revelation and understanding of who he is if that's not accompanied with a sense of holy, reverential fear. And what that does is that governs how I respond to him. That governs how I move. That governs how I treat other people. Oh, Lord, help us. Help us. I was going to climb through or walk us through, scroll through uh, salvific history, and I won't do that now because I know the time is late. Um, but it's important for us that we see this clear central aspect, this, this launching pad, so to speak, of the book of Amos and this ongoing revelation of how God has revealed himself through his holiness and God reveals himself through salvific history because there is something that he is doing. There is something that he is doing. What I mean by that is even with the affairs that we've experienced the last couple of years, there is something that God is doing. Coronavirus, pandemic, Trump, protests, racism. There's something that God is doing. Yes, he's loving, but he's holy. And the lion roars. There's something that God is doing. Yahweh. This, this sense again, this, this word was so set apart. They couldn't even say it. 
They had to say it a certain way. They couldn't even write all the letters. It had to be written a certain way. There was this sense of, of awe as it relates to him. If you're struggling with that, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to our Views series we did at the end of last year because we unpacked that a little bit. I want you to know that the Yahweh who speaks, the Yahweh who moves through creation, the Yahweh who speaks through salvific history is still on the block. He's on the block. And as we respond to him, I'm going to invite the musicians to come on up. As we properly respond to him, as our first neighbor, <laughs> he sets the blueprint for how we're going to respond and treat and love others around us. I think that we need a blueprint for loving, especially in times of suffering and difficulty. I'm going to ask our stagehands to bring out some images right now. I want you to know that although the lion wars in anger, it's righteous indignation. This is how God reveals himself to Amos. And it's not just to cause his people to run and hide. Ultimately, it's a cry for his people to repent. We're going to put up here the faces of the ten individuals that were murdered last week. Listen, I'm not trying to create some emotional response. I mean, it is what it is. I'm not trying to create some hype moment. But I think it hits us a little differently where we can see a face and a name connected to injustice and evil. You do know that, I'm not trying to scare anyone, it's just a reality. Detroit has been called the blackest large city in the country. We know that, right? So if someone like this young man, another person, wanted to do the same kind of harm, they're all kind of cat, copycat ideas out there, like what's stopping them from coming to Detroit? In the natural, nothing. But I want you to know is the lion roars. And what God is doing, he's raising up a people who can receive this difficult information. People can hear difficult things about the church. And I want to give you a quick little blueprint, a method, so to speak, of dealing with suffering. First thing we do is we listen. We listen. We listen. While these faces and names represent physical life that was taken, they represent physical violence, I want you to know there's also been spiritual violence that's been done in the name of the church. In our city, church, it's time for us to repent, and then we engage by listening. After we listen, we lament. We lament. We don't make excuses. We don't try to defend. We lament. We have a God who's touched by our infirmity. After we lament, we lead. And as the lion roars, my conviction is that God gives us instruction, strategy on how we ought to move about in the culture. That look different ways. I believe that it's always going to start with intercession, 
So we get part of our strategy from heaven. It's divine inspiration as we pray. Corporate intercession is why it's so important. That's why we're going to stay committed to that as a church. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Intercession is, is God's way of including us in his plan of putting one hand on the problem and one hand on the solution. And our prayer brings it together. That's what intercession does. We must be committed to that. I believe strategy flows out of that, but doesn't stay there. There are some of you who are already operating in different spheres in the culture that God wants to raise you up with, with ideas and strategies and plans that will speak to many of the injustices in our city. Like, I feel, y'all, family, like, the time is up. Like, the NBA playoffs are going on right now, right? If you've been watching, watching, it's been, you know, it's been quite a, a year for the playoffs. But many times, at the end of a shot clock, the offense is, like, hus hustling to get a shot up before the clock expires. I can't help this feeling like the clock is about to expire. I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means on Detroit Church. I don't know if that means on Detroit as a city. I don't know if that means on my life personally. I, I don't know. But this is a feeling I wake up with every day. And I'm simply trying to charge you and commission you. Those of you who are so, sitting on the bleachers, so to speak. Those of you who look at yourself as, as maybe a common dude, kind of like Amos, that maybe God can't speak through. Please stop. Please stop. God wants to speak to you so that he can speak through you. And he's going to use you and speak through you in whatever field that he already has you serving in. So I believe as we listen, lament, that God is going to give us strategy to lead. I'm going to ask Sharita to come up. And we're going to close our time with some more prayer and intercession. Michelle. Can you come up and pray too? Amen. And Rhonda, can you pray? Listen, some of y'all are going to need to stand up. Because sometimes when you stand up, it, it, not every time, there are different occasions maybe, but I think it helps us stay engaged when we are at attention. So if you are going to be seated, fine, but please stay plugged in. This is not just for the person here to be praying and us to be checked out, thinking about, where we eating at or whatever is next. This is to join our faith to the faith of the person who's praying. Amen? This is what we do in the corporate expression of prayer. Let's pray. Father, Father, we come first to continue to repent for our distraction and allowing the affairs and the cares of this life to take more of our attention than your voice. Father, we know that you are speaking, God. We know that you have a word, God. We know that you have direction and strategy for this generation, for this time, God. And yet your church is divided. Your church is reflective of the culture, God. Sometimes even leading in the foolishness, God, we repent. We don't try to separate ourselves from what's happening, Lord. 
in the broader body, God. As intercessors, we stand in the middle. We stand in the gap, God, and we cry out to you, Lord. Father, we pray where there are blinders on our eyes that you would remove them, God. Father, where there are idols that have set themselves up in your house, God, we ask that you shatter them, Lord. Father, where there are voices of deception speaking in your name, God, we ask you to shut their mouths. Jesus, we need you. Lord, we need you. Father, we pray for these families, for the family of Pearl Young and Catherine Massey and Marcus Morrison and Geraldine Talley. God, we pray for the family of Hayward Patterson and Roberta Drury and Andre McNeil and Celestine Cheney. God, we pray for the family of Aaron Salter and Ruth Whitfield. God, we cry out. Father, we mourn with them, Lord, not just for this loss of life, but for even what their lives represent. We mourn, Lord God. We lament. We cry out, God. We pray, Lord God, Father, for a cry of justice even to rise, Father, from the block. On the block, God, we cry out for justice and righteousness, Lord. Father, we cry out, Father, for your truth and your mercy to prevail, Lord. Father, to push back the spirit of the age that wants to cause confusion and division and separation, God. We cry out this morning, Lord. We thank you for the lion that roars. We thank you for the lion that roars. We thank you that we have a champion in Jesus. In Jesus' name. And Father, we thank you this morning that even as heaven roars, teach us what to do with the roaring and the rumbling in our souls, oh God. Teach us what to do as we cry out for this generation, oh God. Give us wisdom, Lord. Teach us really what it means to love and to care and to feel the pain of those who have been through loss, trauma, and injustice, oh God. We're crying out for strategies, Lord. We're crying out, Lord, to teach us what it means to be the solution in the midst of so many problems and issues and circumstances, oh God teach us how to be your ministers of reconciliation in this hour, oh God. We thank you, Lord, that we don't sit back as those like, oh, it didn't happen to me. Oh, it didn't hit home, but yes, it did hit home, oh God. So we pray for this city, Lord. We pray for households, oh God that you're building families that know what it means to sit at your feet, oh God. You're building families that know what it means to have a conviction in Christ, oh God. Because from that place of relationship and conviction, Lord, it comes justice. As your hand of justice reign, Lord, teach us how to be your ministers in the streets, oh Lord. Teach us how to be your ministers on social media, oh God. 
let us not be those who engage in the culture, but bring the kingdom in righteousness and bring wholeness and peace and bring justice, Lord. Help social media to see righteous indignation, God, in such a way that people are moved to change. People are moved to know you, Lord. People are moved to deliverance and salvation, Lord, and freedom that's only found in you. So, Lord, as we wrestle with the death around us, God, as we wrestle with the injustice around us, oh God, as we wrestle with the unfair systems around us, oh God, let it not weigh on our backs, Lord. But you raise us up, God. You raise us up, oh God, as those with answers and hope that's only found in you. So thank you, Father. Thank you for being with us, Lord. Thank you so much for guiding us. And we pray for an abundance of wisdom in this hour because you're taking us somewhere we've never been before, Lord. You're taking us deeper in you, oh God. Just as deep calls unto deep, oh God. It's something you're calling us to, Lord. So help us to be those who say yes and amen to your call and your calls, the calls for the Christ, the calls, Father, what you call us to, not the culture, but the kingdom. Lord, help us to realize it and walk in your truth today and every day forward. In Jesus' name, thank you, God. Those what? 
Lord, to hear from you on the wall and get off the wall and get to action, Father. In the name of Jesus, help us to know that we are protected by you. God, we are your soldiers, God. Help us to put on the full armor of God, Father God. Help us to ready ourselves in the spirit, God. You have already given us what to do in your word, Father God. Help us not to be afraid of it. You have not given us the spirit of fear, God, but of power and of love and a sound mind, God. Help us to use our sound mind, God, for wisdom and judgment to do what you've called us to do, God. Help us, God, in the name of Jesus, to be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove, God. You can equip us, God. You have equipped us, God. We have the answers, God. Help us not to shudder in fear like the world, God. You have not given us the spirit of the world, Father God. So God, in the name of Jesus, help us to rise up and be the children, God, that you have created us to be, Father God. We have the answers in the body of Christ, God. Help us to live like we have the answers, Father, in the body of Christ, God. You are God of miracles. God, you work through us, God, to show forth these miracles, God. And we need a miracle, God, in our eternal lives, God, in our souls, God, but in this world, Father God. Help people to look again to the church for the answers that it needs, Father God. And help us to believe that you can work in that way again in the name of Jesus. And so we thank you, Lord. We thank you for the power, God, that we will see when we yield to you, God, and not yield to our flesh. We praise you for the healing, Father, and we just bless you and lift you up. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we leave here today, we're going to leave just creating some more space for us to lament. The time is coming for us to leave. But right now, we lament. Right now, we weep. Right now, we cry out. When I look at these images, I see my grandmother. I see my grandfather. I see my family. But I also see the justice heart of my father God he is not okay the evil one will pay but vengeance belongs to him it belongs to him we hide ourselves under the shadow of his wing his protection we cry aloud and spare not we won't be silent there are those even in the church who do not want to talk about this there have been churches that have split even in this region when these kinds of issues are talked about. I have friends who've been ousted by their peers in the ministry, by their elder board, because they've tried to address these things with the holy like, fear of God. Like I'm telling you, when you deal with this kind of stuff, you stir up a whole other level of demonic activity. We may not feel that because we're in the city, I'm telling you, but we're going to deal with it. We're going to deal with it. Father, we just thank you for your nearness. As we leave here today, we leave with hearts that are sober, hearts that are repentant. Father, we want to 
We want to represent you well. We want to love our city well. But to do that, God, we need a fresh picture of who you are. So would you open the eyes of our hearts, God, that we may see you. Yes, we, we want to see you in all of your love. We want to see you, Father, in how you've suffered for us, how you've given so much for us. But we also want to see you in the beauty of your holiness, God. So would you move upon us? Move upon us. Would you move upon us? Touch our eyes. Touch our hearts, God. Father, I pray that you would open the heavens even that we may receive what you have for us, God. In Jesus' name. Listen, I'm going to release you under the weight of this. If you want to make an altar where you are, come to the front, pray, continue lamenting. I want to invite you to do that. Well, we're also excited to have a little bit of time downstairs with our families, those who are, are part of the families that are part of our kids' church. So we're going to meet you downstairs as well. We're going to share a meal together. But uh, I pray that you continue to stay with us through this series because this is not the kind of series where you just kind of come and hear a couple neat points and then that's it. No, this, my prayer is that this radically transforms our view of our neighbors and how God has placed us in communities to advance his gospel. Amen. Amen. Love you all. We'll see you here next Sunday. Thank you for listening to the Detroit Church Podcast. We'd love you to subscribe, like, and rate. And if you're not already, you can follow us on social media by searching for Detroit Church.